Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. How are you suffering right now? If you had to categorize it or, or give something specific, maybe you're in a season where a relationship is bringing suffering, or maybe it's shame from your past, or maybe it's something physical in your body that brings, uh, that brings discomfort. How are you suffering right now? Or we're all suffering in some way. Um, but that question of how we are suffering brings the inevitable question of why we are suffering. And Christians have tried to ask and answer that question for millennia, and we still continue to ask that question, suffering, why? But in fact, it's a lot of the reason why some people don't believe in Jesus or don't believe in God, because if God is good and God is just, um, how can there be suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? And it's actually a great question. And I understand why some people don't believe because the world is full of suffering and their life is full of suffering. John Stott, the great theologian, says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution, suffering's distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. Suffering, why? We all try and wrestle with suffering in in different ways. Uh, When we go through suffering, we're often not sure how to answer. So one of the things we do and one of the things we tell ourselves is, well, it could be worse. Have you ever told yourself that? And that helps a little bit, honestly, because it makes you thankful. You know that it could be worse, but it doesn't answer the question of why suffering. And so one of the things that we end up doing next is then we begin to compare ourselves to someone else and someone else's suffering. And sometimes that gives us pity on ourselves because we're suffering more than someone else, or sometimes they're suffering more than we are. And so that gives us a little perspective that it could be worse. But even in our culture, we're not really sure what to do with suffering. Uh, We have a couple of cultural examples here, uh, David Goggins and Stanley Hudson. And they're both at the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to suffering. David Goggins is an ex-Navy SEAL. He has autobiography, it's called Can't Hurt Me. And the guy is so sadistically into pain that when he runs, he won't even wear earphones to listen to music because he says, that's cheating. You have to feel every ounce of pain as you go through it. This guy loves to suffer. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Stanley Hudson, the character from The Office, who doesn't try at his job at all. He goes into meetings when Michael Scott is talking, and all he does is escapes with his crossword puzzle. He just wants to be left alone, if you know Stanley Hudson. And so we have these cultural examples of of both escapism and toughen up. Get hard and try and avoid all pain and just live for pretzel day, if you know the show. Well, in our text today, as we wrestle around suffering, why? We'll see that Jesus disorients us. He doesn't necessarily answer the question, suffering, why? But he does answer. In fact, Jesus answers, Jesus sees our suffering Jesus gives answers to our suffering, 
And Jesus will ultimately resolve all suffering. Let's look at verse one and start with Jesus sees our suffering. Uh, The first verse that Chris read just says, as he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, many of us, when we see someone in suffering, we're not really sure what to do. We're not even sure if we want to engage. I'll have to admit, the other day, I was on an exit getting off I-95, and someone was walking down the exit with a sign asking for something. And, and like, I couldn't make eye contact because it was just too awkward. I didn't have anything to give, and so it was better not to see. But here, Jesus sees suffering. Jesus sees a man born blind. Jesus isn't afraid to look at deep pain and brokenness in this world that when you and I look at, we go, I I, I don't know what to do about that. That doesn't intimidate Jesus. Not only is Jesus not afraid to look at the suffering in our world, Jesus sees our own suffering. Whatever you answered, how are you suffering? Jesus sees you. And Jesus sees how you're suffering. What what might it do just to start the question, instead of saying, suffering, why? What what, what if we just said, Jesus sees me in my suffering? Jesus sees. Doesn't that give a little bit of hope that the king of the universe knows what you're going through? One of my favorite songs comes out of East Africa, and the lyrics for that song are, Nitam Wimbia Buana, Kwakua Yeye Aminiona, Aminiona, And what the song says is, I will sing to Jesus. I will dance for Jesus. I will glorify Jesus because Aminiona, he sees me. In our household, we say that to each other sometimes, Aminiona, Jesus sees me in my suffering. In fact, I have a quick video of some people from our church in St. Louis singing this song, if we can play that. He sees me. One of my friends, Steve, knew that song from singing in our church in St. Louis, and he went to Kinshasa in Congo. And Kinshasa is a city of nine million people with incredible suffering. In fact, when he was driving around Kinshasa, he was overwhelmed just by the traffic. Like the way the traffic is set up is so bizarre and crazy. Just going through traffic is incredibly stressful because no one follows the rules. And then, and then he was able to see all these vendors on the side of the road who were, who were selling things that you and I might throw away. And he's just wrestling with the level of suffering in this city of Kinshasa. So they go to this church in Kinshasa, and, and, he, and by this time, he's just sort of feeling down and that there's no hope. And he sits down in front of this church as they're warming up the band. And, and in Africa, the music that they play in church is like absurdly loud. And so Steve's sitting out front just trying to get a moment to collect his thoughts and and the speaker comes on 
and they're just blaring this music. And Steve is like just getting more and more tense and more and more hopeless as he, as he thinks about the despair that he's seen in Kinshasa. And this music's just sort of pounding on his head. And then just at that moment, he looks across the street and there are three women, three impoverished women sitting around a fire on the other side of the street. They're sitting around a fire cooking and cleaning dishes. And two of the women were uh, able-bodied and one of the women was in a wheelchair, except it, it was much more sad than that because the wheelchair that she had wasn't even a wheelchair. It was something that they had put together like a seat and some kind of weird wheels in order to give her some mobility. They had basically used junk to make her a wheelchair. And at that moment, Steve said, I just can't handle it anymore. And then right at that moment, a familiar song came on from the band in the loudspeaker. Ni tam, wimbiabwana, kwakua, yeye, aminiona, aminiona, aminiona. Jesus sees. Jesus sees suffering. Jesus sees me. And in that moment, Steve, who had not understood anything that was said the, the previous day, he had not been able to make sense of the suffering, all of a sudden, there was a glimmer of hope because he was able to say, Aminiona. And as he looked across the street to those three women, he realized that they were no longer cooking and cleaning. Instead, they were dancing. They themselves, in their suffering, were singing a miniona, a miniona. And though the woman in the wheelchair made of junk could not get out of the wheelchair, her hands were raised with the beat of the music, and she was saying, a miniona, Jesus sees me. There, there's something for us there in the midst of our suffering, and then we immediately ask the question, suffering why? Have we taken the time to say, a miniona, Jesus sees me? In the midst of the emotional pain, a miniona. In the midst of the sickness that is not getting better, a miniona. In the midst of the relationship that's just so troubling, a miniona. In the midst of your unmet prayer request, your unanswered prayer request, a miniona, Jesus sees. Jesus is not afraid to look into the brokenness of this world, and he is not afraid to look at your problems, your challenges, your trials. He sees. He engages this man born blind. The disciples, they want a little distance. And so probably even so in, in a way that the, this person could hear his disciples in verse two, they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, can you imagine saying that so that the man born blind could hear that? Uh, but it's so interesting. Their logic is so bizarre. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Well, if it's the man, then that means he sinned while he was in his mother's womb because he was born blind. See, the disciples are operating off this weird system of karma. In other words, the only reason that he's born blind, there, there can't be a reason for it unless someone majorly did something wrong. Either his parents did something wrong or the way that they talk about it with him, it, it, maybe he did something in the womb. And he deserves this. This is punishment for something that he did. That, that's what karma is. Uh, this week, I did catch Chevelle wearing a T-shirt around the church that said, Dear Karma, I have a list of people you missed. <laughs> I don't know if she's talking about any of you. But, uh, but, but here's, the, here's the strange thing about karma. It's, Tim Keller says, If you believe in karma then all suffering is deserved. 
If the world operates on a system of karma, then what goes around comes around. If your life is good, it's because you did good. If your life is tough, you should have done better. And all of us hear that and we go, no, that's not, that's not, no. Suffering is much too random for that. Um, it, it, it's, it can't be that. It can't be karma. The disciples are sort of operating on the system of karma. We know that suffering's much more random than that. But Jesus not only sees our suffering, he gives answer to our suffering. In verse three, he says this to his disciples, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. Now you can imagine the, the man born blind hearing that. In one sense, what a relief. People have been talking about whether it was me or my parents who messed up and I'm born blind all my life. They've been talking about that all my life. And here, Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. Now, Jesus is not saying that sin and suffering are disconnected. We know from the Bible that God created the world uh, as a place of peace and shalom. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that, that shalom, that peace was shattered and sin entered, entered the world and broke everything. So suffering exists because sin exists. But there are also times when suffering can come into our lives and it's caused by our own foolishness. If you run into the street in a busy traffic over and over and over again, you are going to cause some suffering for yourself. That's really what the book of Proverbs is about. Proverbs 10, 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. You and I know if we do stupid things, there are consequences for those things. And so when Jesus is talking about sin and suffering, he's not saying there's no connection, but he's saying that there's a totally different reference point when it comes to this particular man. He goes on to say in three, verse three, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered, but this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. In other words, this suffering, this particular suffering that this man is going through is about an opportunity, which is strange to think about, suffering as an opportunity so that God's work might be displayed in him. Now, we've read the story. We know that Jesus goes on to heal this person, um, and that's the opportunity that Jesus is talking about. But many times in our lives, there are opportunities in our own suffering for us to experience God in a deeper way, for us to see God working in us. For instance, in the midst of suffering, it is an opportunity for us to see God's grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul is suffering, and he pleads with the Lord three times that this suffering would lead him. But Jesus himself says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And rather than Paul being angry at Jesus, there's something about experiencing God's grace that causes Paul to say, I will gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that if my options are no suffering or suffering with Christ's power, I will choose suffering with Christ's power on me. Suffering can be an opportunity for God's grace, but it also can be an opportunity for God's weight. And what I mean by that is an opportunity to, to see God's glory in the midst of suffering, to see that you might lose everything, but you have not lost God. In fact, that's the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job loses everything. In the very first chapter, 
And his wife is like, hey man, curse God and die because God screwed you over. And there's something that happens in Job's heart where even in the midst of suffering, he says, I have lost everything, but I have not lost God. And the weight of who God is, is weighing on Job's heart. So that in chapter one, verse 21, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will lead this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Suffering can be an opportunity for God's grace or God's weight, but also God's salvation. In Luke 13, this tragedy happens and a bridge collapses and this, uh, or a tower collapses and the disciples and others come to Jesus and say like, again, the whole karma thing, like, why did this happen? Like, did they, is this because those were particularly bad people and like God was punishing them? And Jesus says, those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? In other words, those people who were killed under the tower that fell, they weren't any worse than anybody else. Neither were they better than anybody else. Jesus then says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. In other words, in the midst of that suffering, as tragic as it was, it sobers us to the reality of this life, that this life is not all there is, and this life is short. And in the midst of suffering, we are not in control. And so it's an opportunity for us to reconcile with God's salvation. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish as well. Suffering lastly brings an opportunity for God's sanctification. Sanctification is simply the process of, of us becoming more like Jesus. In James chapter one, Paul says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What that means for the Christian is that whenever you experience pain, it's never pointless. God is always using it to make you more like Christ. Now, I'm not saying you have to like it, but I am saying that's what God is doing. So every time we experience pain and suffering, it's, it's always an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God's grace. It's an opportunity for us to experience God's weight or God's salvation or God's sanctification. And what if we began to see the opportunity in suffering? Not that that's all it is, but there is an opportunity to experience God and his work and to give us hope that one day Jesus will ultimately resolve all suffering. In this story, he resolves the man's suffering. And in verse six and seven, after he said these things, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, go the man born blind, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed and came back seen. He's healed. His suffering has an expiration date. And so does your suffering. You might be going through a season in your life where your body is broken. You might be going through a season in life where your emotional life is tattered. You might be going through a season in your life where you have these relationships and you just want to get better. You just want them to get healed. Some of those things will be healed in this life 
and some of them will be healed in the life to come. But whatever way you look at it, your suffering, every last bit of it, has an expiration date. In Revelation 21, the passage where we get the name of our church, John sees this vision. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea, which means chaos, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And then here it is. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Friends, if God heals your suffering in this life, I promise you that there is more suffering that comes after that. And I don't say that to be dark, but I say that to, to say every time that I've had something healed, there's something else waiting for me. And there comes a point in your life where you say, I'm either going to be completely flattened by that, or I'm going to look beyond that to the great final healing that is coming when Jesus returns. The time when Jesus will wipe away every tear, when death will be no more, when no one will be sad, when no one will be pain in pain, when suffering will be banished forever. See, this, this man, he, he's healed and he's able to see, but he experiences this new kind of suffering. If you heard what Chris said, he gets questioned by the Pharisees who lead the synagogue. And they're like, what happened to you? And he's like, well, I can see. And they're like, no, that's not you. And he's like, no, that's me. I, I was born blind. And they question him again. And they say, well, that, it must not be you. you. You were born with sight. He's like, look, ask anybody. I've never been able to see. And so then they start to question him. Well, who healed you? And he's like, that guy. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he is, but he healed me. And they're really looking to trap this guy, the man born blind. They're really looking to trap him and get him to say that he thinks Jesus is the Messiah. And he doesn't even say that, and he's thrown out of the synagogue, which means he can no longer participate in the life of the community, a new type of suffering. In the same day, his eyes are healed, and he sees for the very first time, and he's thrown out and ostracized by the only community that he's known his entire life. Suffering ends and suffering begins, all in the same day. Jesus will resolve our suffering one day, but we have to realize that suffering starts and suffering stops and suffering starts and suffering stops until Christ returns. And then there will be no more suffering. And while I want my suffering to stop now, and some of it will, there is a day that I look forward to with even greater hope when all suffering will stop, when Jesus returns. And so that's why, even as we think about this question, suffering, why? It's not just about Jesus seeing us. It's not just about Jesus answering us. It's not just about Jesus relieving us. It's about asking us 
in the midst of our suffering, do we see Jesus? I, I didn't pick up on this right away, but I think that this man has yet to see Jesus in this story until the very end of the story. In verse 35 and 36, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out of the synagogue, and when Jesus found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus always called himself the Son of Man. It was, it was this divine figure from the book of Daniel, but Jesus always reframed that figure and that he wasn't just divine, but he was divine and he would come to suffer and die. And so the man says, who is he? I'll believe in him. In verse 37, Jesus answered, you have seen him. Now remember, this isn't just you've laid eyes on him. This is this man's first day of seeing and probably the first moment that he's actually laid his new healed eyes on Jesus. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. See, see the high point of the story is not when this man's suffering was relieved, but when he sees the one who relieved his suffering. The high point of the story isn't when his eyes are opened by Jesus, but when his eyes are opened to Jesus. To see Jesus even in the midst of his suffering. See, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian and you're wrestling with what, what is this Christian path, one of the things I'll be honest with you about is Christianity doesn't always make your life better. Sometimes it makes it much dif more difficult. At the same time, Christianity gives you resources to walk through suffering that were never available to you before you knew Jesus. And you can talk to people who have been through deep suffering, who have faced death or have died, and the resources that they have in the midst of that suffering is unimaginable. See, this man sees Jesus, and even as Jesus sees our suffering, and even as Jesus answers us, and even as Jesus resolves our suffering, what we need to see is that Jesus has entered into suffering for you and me. In verse 4 and 5, Jesus said, Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus talks about night, he's talking about the darkness that will surround his death on the cross. The suffering that he voluntarily undertook for you and for me. When he was betrayed, when he was arrested, when he was tried as a criminal, when he was beaten, when he was spit on, when he was mocked, when he was stripped naked, when he picked up a beam of wood and carried it to Golgotha and was nailed on the cross for the sin of the world. That's the suffering that he didn't run from, but rather headed towards for you and for me so that you and I could avoid eternal suffering. See, Jesus suffered on the cross in hopes that we would see him, that we would repent, that we would place our faith in him, and that we could be with God forever. That even as he took the place of a criminal, we would take the place of sons and daughters. 
And when we trust in Christ for our salvation, all of our sins are forgiven and we become one with Christ because he suffered on our behalf. And that's called the good news. And the good news reframes the question. It reframes the question of suffering. Why? Because we don't serve a God who gives us just intellectual or cathartic answers. We serve a God who went to suffer for us. John Stott, the quote I opened up with was from John Stott, but John Stott said this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as the God of the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to pain? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on Buddha's face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lovely, lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wretched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his suffering. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. The other gods were strong, but ours was weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but ours alone. Not a God suffers, but our God So even as we ask the question, suffering, why? And I I can't pretend that there's neat intellectual and cathartic answers for everything that you're going through. But we do know this. Jesus sees us in our suffering, Amenio Na. And even as he sees us in our suffering, he promises one day to resolve our suffering. But even more than that, the question for us is, do you see Jesus in the midst of your suffering? you see how he has suffered for you? Do you see how he has died for you? Do you see how he hasn't stayed away from the pain that you and I feel daily, but has entered into it for us? That is the God for me. That is the God I can worship. That is the God who gives me limitless resources, even in the midst of my own suffering. That is the God I can build my life around. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.